everyone. I'm Jinx Monsoon here with a brand new Hi Jinx with me, Jinx Monsoon. Today, my guest is Laganja Estranja, and we talk about all the segues in life, uh, how being queer helped us find the performing arts, how performing arts helped us find drag, how drag helped us express our true passions and find our true selves. All of that and more, as well as some insider scoops um, into the House of Edwards and some behind the scenes antics from All Stars 7. <laughs> um, all today on Hi Jinx. Um. Oh, M. Mom! everyone, I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to Hi Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today, we are joined by choreographer, dancer, musician, and weed advocate, Laganja Estaranja. Hi, Laganja. Hi, Jinx. How are you doing today? I'm doing so well. How are you, sister? I am decent. (laughs) (laughs) What was the first movie you started to imitate as a child? Like, were you always, like, doing... I I, I wonder if this is universal between queer people or universal between drag entertainers or entertainers in general. But I started acting out films in their entirety in my living room for my family at a very, very young age. Can you remember if you did this and and what was the film? I'm sexy. I'm cute. I'm popular to boot. I'm bitching. Great hair. The boys all love to stare. I'm wanted. I'm hot. I'm everything everything you're not. not. I'm pretty. I'm cool. I dominate the school. I can do the whole thing. Literally the whole thing, girl. Of course I did this as a child. Yes. Bring it on. Such a special movie to me. I know every word, head to toe. How old were you? You know, I don't like to think about age. I like (laughs) I'm timeless, you know? So we don't mean to think about all that. I'm just thinking, bring it on. I think I was like a full-blown teenager by that point. (laughs) I mean, maybe I was too, but I (laughs) It's just the first movie I remember emulating literally from beginning to end. That is so telling. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> what was yours death becomes her oh, I love uh, at five years old or five or six i used to get in trouble for saying the swear words from the movie like when i would come into the room with my clothing on backwards and look down and go my ass i can see my ass and i was <laughs> like six or seven years old um that's iconic it, and it, the such for- a great film. <laughs> the force was strong in this one. Um, <laughs> so, Laganja, are you in LA right now? No, I'm actually coming to you live from London. I'm on tour right now. London. Which? What's the tour? I'm over here working. W e r q the world. Uh, work the world. 
the entire world. Yes. London. Um, weren't you just in uh, Glasgow? No, I Dublin? Was. Yeah, we were in all of the places. <laughs> we, were, we were in Glasgow yesterday. We're in uh, London now, then on to Antwerp and eventually Dublin. Yes, that's on the list. Wonderful. Um, how do you find Europe and the UK at large? At large, I <laughs> love it. Now, England for me is not necessarily my favorite place. It's a little gray and rainy and, you know, I... Uh, don't have a lot of food options in England, but Europe in its entirety, I, I totally love, you know, we, we also <laughs> were in Amsterdam. So, you know, I had a really good time over there. Although shockingly they have outlawed smoking in the shops. Oh. What? I can't even believe that. I'm so shocked by that, but I had a great time there in Amsterdam and yeah, I love Italy. Um, yeah, just, there's, there's lots of great places in Europe for sure. Amsterdam was one of the first places I went internationally. And I, so I used to be a high functioning stoner, as in, you know, start the day, uh, carry it throughout, basically. <laughs> Stoned all day. Um, nowadays, though I am still as like avid of a weed advocate, I smoke a lot less weed. Um, I, find that I have to take it in much smaller doses. Do you have any other friends? Um, I, I know quite a few people, but I don't know if your friends are in their early to mid thirties, like me and my friends are. Yeah, I'm 33. But, so yes. You're 33. Why do I, yes. it's because of bring it on. I thought you were like a full decade younger than me, but oh. I don't know when that movie came out and I'm not going to do the math. Um, <laughs> I just pretend to be young, but no, no, uh, in my mid thirties. And shockingly, I can't believe I'm going to admit this publicly, but you know, since my transition, uh, mm -hmm. I have found weed to, you know, be a lot more intense yeah. and I've actually stopped, uh, smoking a lot of weed. In fact, I don't dab anymore. And I was like mm -hmm. such a dab head. Now for people who don't know what that is, it's a concentrated form of THC that is usually smoked, um, out of a rig with a blowtorch. It's a whole process and it's mm -hmm. very intense. Um, but yeah, once the hormones, uh, started doing the job, you know, I really realized that maybe just maybe, I was using cannabis as a crutch to feel comfortable in my own skin. And now mm. that I'm really becoming myself and really owning my truth, I'm finding that I don't need or don't want to smoke as much. And that when I do, the effects are more intense. So it has to be an appropriate time or a safe space. You are saying everything I feel. And I'm going through a very similar experience with weed. But you know what? You don't have to um, smoke a ton of weed to be a weed advocate. You know, like there's so it um, there's just so many benefits to it in so many ways. And the fact that alcohol pours freely in the streets, but weed is still so demonized when they have such completely different effects on people. Um, it just blows my mind. So um, I think you can be a, 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 a you know, like a, a smaller user and still go out and sing the praises of weed, you know? <laughs> 100%. I mean, I have many friends who don't 
you know, smoke cannabis, but, you know, use edibles or mm-hmm. use CBD on its own. And, you know, it's still a beautiful plant. I will always be Laganja Strandra, whether I'm puffing up a big blunt or not. And I think ultimately, <laughs> you know, activism is also about owning your truth. And mm-hmm. I'm able to, you know, positively say that the choices I'm making now are good ones. And yeah. not to say that, you know, I, you know, misused cannabis, but I think I most likely probably misused cannabis because I was running away from myself and cannabis helped me feel more truly connected to who I am. And now that I'm kind of on that journey, um, I'm finding that cannabis is more additive to my life when, like I said, in safe spaces or like particularly going to bed, I still love to, you know, consume CBN, which really helps with sleep. So there's still a lot of great things out there about cannabis. And, and just like you said, we don't, we don't got to be the Snoop Dogg's a drag to still represent the plant. <laughs> Praise the plant. That's your next t-shirt. <laughs> it is. It really should be. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting because I just, um, I went on a show that really kind of promoted overconsumption and mm. it was probably the first time in a really long time that I smoked a ton of cannabis and mm. I actually felt really uncomfortable, you know, and for many reasons, A, because I don't promote overconsumption and, and B, because, you know, they basically got me really high and then asked me about, um, Dave Chappelle. And it was just like, I was like, wait, I thought this was like a fun weed show and now I'm super high and like, I'm the only trans person in the room. And like, I started crying and it was just, it was a really weird moment, but it also Mm -hmm. solidified for me that like, oh, right. I'm, I'm making the right choice by not over consuming these days. Yeah. Wow. That sounds like a nightmare situation. My anxiety flared up intensely when you said you got super stoned and then they started asking you hard-hitting questions. Yeah, um, it was pretty intense. I, I am so sorry to hear that happened to you. Um, it sounds like you're looking at the silver lining of it, you know, <laughs> which I think drag queens are especially apt at doing. You know, like, I think we're very good at looking at a shitty situation and saying, okay, what can I learn from this? <laughs> Yes. I mean, how else do we continue on with our life? You know, if we that's both... how you perfect a drag number, that's how you perfect yourself. Period. Uh... <laughs> and plus, we're always concerned about our linings inside of our outfits, and that's the showing of that. So, you know, we just got to be lined, girl. Lining is a game changer. Intestinal <laughs> lining, um, costume lining. Um, it's very important in life. Yes. <laughs> Laganja, sitting where you are now in London, England, talking to me um, over a Zoom call in the year 2022, uh, let's compare and contrast right where you are right now in life and, and where you started. I don't know much about Dallas, Texas, except that I um, blacked out at a bingo hall there once. <laughs> Maybe you know the bingo hall I'm talking about, but tell us about growing up in Dallas, Texas. Well, everyone blacks out in Texas, eh? (laughs) Welcome welcome and howdy. Um, It's also pronounced Dallas, Texas with a double dollar sign, you know. Okay. Um, And you know what? Growing up uh, was definitely difficult. Um, I was a unique child 
and definitely just as extravagant as I am now, I was then. Um, but I was really fortunate um, that my parents put me in like musical theater camp by the age nine. So pretty much by nine, I found my people and I was able to, you know, get through public school and then in the evenings go and do musical theater or go mm-hmm. to these different kind of programs. And so I think that's really, you know, how I was able to survive the South back then. Yeah. Um, would you say that like, okay, were you drawn to performing arts because you were queer or did you find out you were queer because you were drawn to the performing arts? Hmm. I think I was was just like always queer. I don't think that was like ever a question. Uh Like I literally came out of my parents' womb tap dancing and they were like, oh, we got another. One. Um, so I would say maybe option B, right? The queerdom mm-hmm. led to the theater. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I I'm very similar. I kind of just always knew who I was, but it was when I was taught that it was something different and weird and that um, you know, everyone would be terrible to me if I was honest about it. Um, that's when I started hiding it, but I was never good at hiding it. Because, <laughs> because pretty much immediately I was doing the performing arts and it just radiated off of me, my queerness. <laughs> the only thing that, uh, like the only way in which I presented to be straight was just saying that I was straight and occasionally having a girlfriend who was clearly just some girl I was obsessed with you know it was the (laughs) exactly I was just about to say I always dated the girls that I wanted to be so I would date like the (laughs) blonde cheerleaders who were popular why they would date me back who knows but yeah I am absolutely the same I definitely had a girlfriend or two and was like I'm straight but I think I would be like I'm straight you know like I already I like even list the word straight girl (laughs) um it's do you like the nanny have you seen the nanny you know I'm not gonna lie to you it's not like you know on the top of my list but I do know the show of course of course every drag queen knows the show yes well if you ever if you ever get the itch um a lot of my friends we rewatched it during the pandemic it's kind of brilliant when you find out, when you go into it knowing that Fran Drescher's husband later came out and the entire show is just a monument to her. Like, it's just the Fran Drescher worship power hour and the way she's styled and it's like you think of any drag queen with her assistant, <laughs> that's what was going on on network television <laughs> with Fran Drescher. Well, I have never heard Curing an Itch with the nanny, but I will definitely try that because I definitely do get the itch mama. Now, let's talk about how um, you shifted your focus. To, I don't know if it was a shift, but when did you like start to zero in and focus in on dancing as a, as a big part of your life? Yeah, so I grew up in musical theater. Um, I did musical theater up until my senior year of high school. I think what really changed it for me was puberty. I lost my tenor voice. I went from being, you know, Oliver Oliver Twist to Eartha Kitt. And so (laughs) I chose dancing as my main passion because I was still able to 
sort of progress in that lane. And when I went to high school, I went to an arts high school and I did, I studied dance and choreography and uh, I just totally fell in love with it and started choreographing the, the musicals for my high school. And uh, yeah, I just really developed a love for the language of movement. Ah, uh, the language of movement. Um, that's um, that's some showgirls shit right there. <laughs> I always say, you know, it's so interesting to me because I can travel the world and, and no matter where I go, when I do the dip or mm. I do a split, you know, people react to it. And that's why I always say the, the really first universal language is movement, is dance. Yeah. I feel like that's something that, you know, no matter what country you're from, you speak it. That's a very good point. Um, what would you say has been the hardest thing? Okay, so I don't know if this is a confession. I feel like I've talked about it constantly, but <laughs> but I still don't think anyone. Um, I did ballet from, you know, like early teens to late teens. And I really, really, for a moment, thought that I wanted to be a ballet dancer. Um, do you have lots of people in your life who tell you stories like this when they're like, oh, you're a dancer? Let me tell you about my old dance experience. I mean, no, but I can't wait to hear your story. So please, <laughs> let me, I need to know. I was mainly doing it because I was in love with, um, not mainly, I really liked dancing and I really liked any chance to perform. But I was also heavily inspired by the fact that I was in love with my friend Sam, who was like the dancer at our school. Um, and so I ended up going to uh, like doing the Nutcracker with him. And it was my it was the scariest time of my life because it was the most like professional ballet theater I had somehow like you know, conned my way into. <laughs> and every day the ballet master was like criticizing me in some way. And I was like the only poor kid. And that really was like, I don't think I'm cut out for this lifestyle. Dance is intense. And I have to imagine that's, you know, the environment of many athletic endeavors. But it really like scared the pants off of me being a ballet dancer for like a hot minute. And then I started dancing at a co-op dance school, which was much lower pressure. And it actually led to me doing my first ever drag performance. And I was like, oh, this is much better. <laughs> <laughs> and it was pretty much immediately after that, I was a drag performer and gave up ballet. But <laughs> Yeah, no, um, ballet in particular is extremely hard. I actually grew up hating it. And it wasn't until college when I had this amazing teacher by the name of Lawrence, who really pushed me and got me to love the art form of ballet and now it's like totally like top tier for me I love it I mean mm -hmm. I don't want to necessarily perform it but it is a dream mm -hmm. of mine to you know choreograph on contemporary ballet companies like that's something that I really see in my future and I'm, I'm working really hard at trying to get back over to it because as much as I do love the drag you know dance really is my main passion and so is choreography um, so you know again when you're like, oh, do people tell you stories? I'm like, well, I always love stories because I love to hear about, you know, when people were dancers or, you know, who are their favorite choreographers or because I'm so immersed in the drag world that it's nice mm -hmm. to talk about something that I actually know a lot about. You know, I went to, yeah. to college and got my BFA in um, dance and choreography and, 
you know, like dance history I love. And yeah, mm. I'm such a dance nerd still to this day. Ah, the BFA in a performing arts category. <laughs> Bachelor of Faggotry Arts, Mama. <laughs> I have a joke. Um, I have a joke in the show I'm currently touring where I, like, it's kind of a spoiler, but um, I won't ruin the show for anyone listening. But basically, there's a line where I'm talking about, I mean, what else would I do? I have a I have a degree in theater, for fuck's sake. I might as well be a doctor of crayons. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, you know, when you commit to studying an art form and that being like your path, you are really doing it because you're passionate about that art form, not because you're like, and now I'm going to take this and make some money off of this piece of paper I got here. <laughs> 100%. 100%. I'm, I'm so grateful that I went to college. Um, you know, a lot of dancers are encouraged at a young age to just get out there and audition and don't go to college because mm-hmm. the body only has so long before it begins to deteriorate and you just physically can't keep up. Um, but college for me was like such a beautiful exploration of myself. I think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's where I did create Laganja. It's where I definitely started to discover my, you know, gender identity. and. I love school. I mean, I hated writing papers, but besides that, I loved school. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I realize how much I miss. You know, it's it, uh, we still get it in our lives when we're on tour. We're very much on a schedule, and your day's kind of planned out for you. Um, I both, you know, love that. And then also, like, it's when it gets monotonous, it's very quick to feel like, okay, get me home with my cats, you know? <laughs> like, this is Groundhog's Day. <laughs> but um, did you like the structure of school, like, versus where, you know, if you're not on tour, it's kind of like, okay, plan your day for yourself and make it a good one. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a Capricorn, so I very much like organization and schedules and deadlines and due dates. I do really mm-hmm. well with that type of, um, you know, rigorous outline. So, uh, yeah, I definitely find myself creating schedules for myself when I don't have them because mm-hmm. I function best when I have sort of a, you know, a, a purpose or a way of showing me how my day should look. Yeah. I have to say that I always talk about how I'd love, you know, a structured schedule like college again, but I'm very much out of practice. So when I have them, I'm just consistently 10 late, uh, ten minutes late to everything. Well, that's not um, <laughs> You're a drag queen, 10 minutes late, you're doing great, sis. I know, you know, when I used to drink, it was like 30 or 40 minutes late, but now it's just, I've, I've narrowed, it, narrowed it down to a tight 10. Uh, I love it. 
when so you said um, that you created created Laganja in college. Um, give us, you know, give us uh, the elevator pitch. How did you become a drag queen, and when did you start to marry your love of dance um, to your expression in drag? Well, I was really high, and <laughs> uh, you know, I thought, let's make my name Laganja. Um, I'm not for sure. I always tell different stories for how I came up with my name because I really can't remember exactly how I came up with my <laughs> name. Um, but you know, marrying dance and drag, that was always from beginning for me. You know, again, dance has always been my passion, will always be my passion. So there was no way I was going to do drag without dancing. And mm -hmm. I always say like drag chose me, like it really never was my intention. I never thought in a million years I would be an international drag artist. Um, so, you know, it's just something, it was like a bug. It was like a bug that bit me. And once I tried it and, you know, I found out that I loved it and, um, I just kind of took it from there. I entered an amateur contest in, in West Hollywood and the prize package was you would get to be in the show every week as a showgirl. And so mm -hmm. after I won, it was just like, I was kind of thrust into this world and, you know, I was alongside Raven and Morgan and, you know, other RuPaul's drag race Queens. And so it was just sort of like a, a fast track, right. To queendom. Mm -hmm. That, I mean, basically just described my exact story but <laughs> it's beginning to feel that way um because I you know I was obsessed with the musicals we were doing at my school and I rarely got the part I actually wanted so whatever musical we were doing at school at the time or whatever play we were in um that would inspire what drag I was doing that weekend um because I was working at a all-age queer dance club in Portland. So I would do like musicals during the week, um, have rehearsals after school every day. And then on the weekends, I'd do drag. And it was just another way to get me up on stage. And it was always me like acting out like the roles that I wish I was playing <laughs> in my heteronormative life. So I'd be playing Jack in Into the Woods at high school. And then on the weekend, I'd be playing the witch, obviously, right. because I should have played the witch in both productions, you know? <laughs> it's never too late, my love. It's never too late. Um, so yeah, drag really gave me this place to explore parts of myself and to kind of like constantly be working on something I was passionate about in the way that I actually wanted to do it, you know, um, in the costumes that I actually wanted to wear. And <laughs> um, we both also share in common that, you know, um, we were drag queens for quite some time before publicly coming out. And, um, you know, uh, you as a trans woman, myself as a non-binary human being. Um, and we are seeing a lot of drag queens you know, I don't think it's a coincidence. I don't think, I think this has always been a part of our community, but has not always been talked about and has not always been so um, unapologetically public, you know? <laughs> I agree 100%. And I think it's such a beautiful, beautiful thing. And to anyone who out there is like, it's a trend. I'm here to say it's not, you know, it's education and mm -hmm. it's the stigma. These two things are changing. You know, I grew up in Texas. I knew nothing about 
transgendered individuals. This was not mm-hmm. something I was raised with. You know, I didn't meet someone who was transgender until I moved to LA and met Kylie Sonique from RuPaul's Drag Race, who mm-hmm. I seen on TV and sought out to meet, to understand, you know, um, the community. And I feel mm-hmm. like that's why I came out so publicly and so early on in my transition is I want people to see that, you know, there is no certain way to be trans. Um, you know, I think a lot of times, particularly in LA, a lot of the trans girls are surged and beautiful and doll-like, and that's great. That's totally one way, but so is my way of doing this naturally and, and taking my time. And I wanted, you know, I wanted to use my platform to help other individuals because I never saw someone like me on TV um, until RuPaul's Drag Race. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, the further I go into my transition, the more I realize that that's exactly why I did do drag. Drag helped me accept who I was. And more importantly, it helped me explain who I was because I'm from the South. You know, I was always taught to not act feminine and drag was a way for me to be like, okay, but look, it's my job, but look, Mm -hmm. it's a way for me to make money. And now I'm, you know, realizing like, I don't really want to wear 301s anymore. And I don't really mm-hmm. want to put glitter on my lids. And I, you know, don't want to have to wear wigs. And I really realized that I was using drag to become who I am becoming now. And mm-hmm. I think that's why maybe my career, hopefully, um, as I go on world tours, will take a turn and, and allow me to, you know, focus more on being myself now and expressing my true femininity and, and falling back into the dance world as a choreographer. Because, um, yeah, I don't know. I think now that I'm expressing my truth all the time, like I said, getting up in drag seems just like so much work. And I'm just like, wait, I don't need to do all that anymore because I've accepted yeah. who I am. I I mean, Laganja, we don't get a lot of time to talk like this. <laughs> Every time we see each other, it's in passing. It's at the end of the night. Um, I am so happy that we're having this conversation because literally same. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, and it's, you know, it's a testament to what you were saying. Like, everyone finds their own path with their with their gender identity and their gender journey. You know, some people's paths are very short because, you know, um, it's not hard for them to live their truth. But, you know, as we're seeing, it's not that more and more people suddenly are having longer gender journeys in their life. It's that we are now being allowed the freedom and the safety and the protection to do so. I mean, not perfectly, but in ways that have never been happening before. And I know that that's also, you know, my my bubble speaking because, you, you know, you live in L.A., I live in Portland. These are very safe places to Correct. be on this journey that we're on. Um, and it always kind of, you know, makes me sad for people growing up anywhere in the world where like this could highly jeopardize their safety. Right. Um, that's why one of my messages to the youth is to migrate, you know, until, <laughs> until the world is safe for everyone, come to the places where it is, please. Um, self-preservation is key. We cannot have our numbers dwindle. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. And, you know, I just think it's really beautiful that the world at large is really starting to understand much like how sexuality is on a spectrum. So Mm -hmm. is gender. 
And I think for me, um, that's like a really powerful place to exist. And, you know, who knows? Maybe one day I am going to want breasts, but like right now I'm very much in my own body and just like loving it. And like, you know, the hormones are intense, um, but they're really, you know, helping me just become comfortable with myself again. And I think that's just such a a freeing thing. And I think that's why sometimes maybe the drag is confusing for me because while drag has given me freedom, the art form of drag is very uncomfortable. And Mm -hmm. I am trying to find ways as a woman, a trans woman to be comfortable. You know, I don't believe in tucking during the day. Now I'm not going to wear outfits that reveal my penis. So I'm finding Mm -hmm. dresses that are flowy or, you know, don't necessarily show off that part of my body, but I don't believe in this idea of um, pain equaling femininity. I believe pain equals drag queen. So I'm just like looking for a way, you know, to to find a happy middle because I love the Lagandra Strangia brand and I love my job and I'm so grateful for it. But I think it's really important, especially right now while I'm in the beginning of my tra- transition to give myself space to really figure out what it means to me to be a woman, you know, mm-hmm. and what it means to me to be a drag queen and the difference between the two. Yeah. And I, I mean, I just think it's so important um, as much as possible to see different stories about this journey, you know, because I think we all know that media often presents one very specific type or then the complete opposite. And it's just two extremes, you know, you're either Laverne Cox or you're the transsexual who's getting, um, you know, killed on SVU. Yeah. Or yeah. I mean, it's just, uh, and so rarely are the people, you know, of course it's changing every day and it's getting better every year. But like, when you think of the big, like blockbuster trans representation in, um, mainstream media, it's mostly played by cis hetero people for an Oscar nomination, you know, or an an Emmy nomination. So there's so much pathos and there's so much like, look at the tragedy of it all. But I think, you know, the more that we get to see how natural this is and how, you know, this has always existed. It's always existed And it's simultaneously, you know, like very, very personal, but also universal because I think there's so many people who, even if they're like, I'm, you know, like someone who identifies as um, cisgender and has zero question about that is like just completely, you know, they're still going to explore their gender in their life. And they're still going to find different aspects of their gender that they maybe previously would have thought, no one in my gender experiences this, you know? And if they're open to those experiences, they can learn so much more about themselves. And I, I worry for the people who close themselves off to the experiences because um, society has told them that this is who you have to be based on your genitalia. 
I I honestly never, ever thought in my life that I would come out with this truth. I mean, Mm -hmm. ever since I've known my girls from season six, you know, I told them like that this is how I felt and that I would wait until my parents died because I just couldn't put them through that. I already put them through me being gay and then me being a drag queen and then me being a marijuana smoker. So I was like, I just can't put them through me being trans, but you know, Corona happened and my real hair grew out and it touched the back of my neck. And that was it for me. I just knew in that moment that I could not deny myself any longer uh, the chance and the choice to be feminine and to be the woman that I feel I am. And, you know, it hasn't been easy. My parents definitely took the news pretty hard, but I'm so happy to say that they've really come around 100% fully supporting me. And, uh, it's a, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, it comes with a lot of, of course, ups and downs and it's not all, you know, perfect and pink bows and beauty, but for the most part, the fact that I have given myself this freedom to really express my gender and express my truth. It's uh it's the best gift I've ever given myself. Truly. Mm-hmm. Here, here, sis. <laughs> That's S-I-S, not (laughs) C-I-S. I remember an evening in New York City, the Lori Beachman Theater. I had done my show earlier that night. And then later in the evening, I stuck around to see the House of Edwards cabaret show. Let's talk about that night. (laughs) That was a really fun night. Also chaotic, the house down boots. (laughs) Welcome to House of Edwards, my love. I love that you called it a cabaret show. I'm like, I don't even know. It was in a cabaret. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, Yeah, touring with House of Edwards was one of the best things I've ever done in my life. It was crazy, many stories, but you know, that's really how I learned to be the drag queen that I am today. I mean, I was so terrified to get on a mic, but after watching Shangela and Alyssa, you know, I just, I learned what it was like to be a true performer and to how to shoot the shit and just ramble and make it funny and be entertaining. And, you know, they really helped rebuild my career and in such a, you know, priceless way. I think a lot of people felt a negative energy towards me after season six. And when those two, you know, iconic Queens put their stamp of approval on me, it changed a lot of people's opinions. And Mm. I'm, I just feel really grateful, you know, that they, that they loved me and that they said to the world, we don't care what you say about her. We love her and we're going to show you why. And uh, that was just such a, such a cool moment in life. And, you know, I pray that we will get to tour together again. Um, Mm because it's been many, many years and, you know, it's pretty known that Alyssa and I had a, a moment uh, as we like to call it an extended timeout from one another, but you know, we uh, are back together again. And, I, and it's just, it's so wonderful. I mean, literally I was calling her yesterday on FaceTime and showing her my hormone titties. So, you know, it's like just so cool that in life, you know, with family and that's how I really feel about Alyssa and Shangela, you know, the the door is always open and the love is always there. And um, yeah, I, I have high hopes that one day someone's going to have a lot of money because let's face it, to get the three of us together again would be an expensive penny. But uh, I hope someone will do it because it would just be so great to be able to, to, to be myself who I am now with them. Yeah, that's, I mean, that 
that's chosen family right there, you know. Um, I, I've myself, you know, in some of my best friendships, we've had to take breaks from each other. It's just, you know, it's, I think it's another thing we've been conditioned to believe that if there's a problem, like a very big problem between two people, that then the relationship has to end. You know, sometimes you just need time and space. Correct. And um, But that time and space is scary because you don't know how long it's going to last. And, you know, we're not, we're not often conditioned to do the things that are scary or the things that are hard. And one of my mantras that Ben de la Creme taught me, who is very much, you know, everything you said about the House of Edwards, Shangela and Alyssa, copy and paste, and I could say the same about Ben de la Creme. Um, one of her mottos when we're building a show is, just because it's hard isn't a good reason not to do it. <laughs> I love it. And that was just applying to, like, um, you know, script motifs. But I've taken it and started applying it to my whole life. Um, (laughs) I pride myself on my Alyssa Edwards impression. Um, (laughs) But I oftentimes, whenever I boast about doing an impression of one of the girls, one, I then can't do it when I actually try to do it after I've said I'm good at it. And two... um, it's very much a backstage one, so it's not always for the audience, you know, because they're not going to know, oh, this is super-duper accurate, but it's not the it's not the person you see on stage. Absolutely. But, <laughs> and I think everyone, every queen has an Alyssa impression. If you work with her for five minutes, it's impossible to leave the room without a, an Alyssa impression. <laughs> it's true. She is uh, uh, an iconic behavioral a study, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she really lightened the mood on season five. She was um, impeccable at getting us all out of a bad mood. Um, as you may know, I it's now uh, revealed that I'm on All Star 7. I got to say, our mood lightener on um, All Star 7 uh, was definitely Jada. Like, we could all be in a crappy mood, and then Jada would just stand up and say something, and the whole, the energy of the whole room would change. So (laughs) That's amazing. I'm getting to work with her right now on the Work the World Tour, and I absolutely can see why you say that 100%. She is truly a a light and a bubbling energy. Like... In undes- undescribable. And she, I don't know if she does this thing with y'all in the dressing room um, where she just starts improving a story. Like she just starts bringing up things from the past that didn't happen and inventing people. And then the next oh, yes. thing you know, and she's like, and then Uncle Howard threw you out of the house and you said you'd never come back again. <laughs> it's like, and it's like, it takes you a while to realize she's just making up shit because she's so deadpan about it. Right. Yeah, no, her um, character right now currently on tour is a is a, a bob curler. So she only curls bobs. She doesn't do no <laughs> long hair. She only curls bobs. And that's the character she's been giving us a lot, which is very funny. Very funny. Uh, um, you're also touring with my sister, winner, All-Star 7 castmate, Evie Oddly. Yes. Who is uh, also just one of my favorite people. Um, 
you know, I we oftentimes when we were filming, I would just stop and I would go, "Are we the same person from a different timeline?" Because <laughs> I don't think it would surprise anyone that um, Jinx Monsoon and Evie Oddly have certain um, shared character traits. Definitely, definitely. She, she's another one that I really love uh, working with as well. And just the other night, we went out to a club. And, you know, the bunch of us girls were in a booth, like away from people. And Evie was down on the dance floor, busting a move. And it was just such a joy to watch and tell that she, she just really embodies that freedom and that spirit. The language of movement. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Um, do you still, um, and if, if, if we don't talk about this, we can always cut this out, but are you still sober from alcohol? I am not, Mary. Oh, yeah. You I know. I went back to the dark side. <laughs> I, I was sober for three years. And, um, you know, I just felt like eventually I learned moderation. And for the most mm-hmm. part, I do stick to that. Now, there are the occasional yeah. slip ups. I still but think. But that's here. the occasional slip up. I mean, spend five days in the UK and you'll see it. <laughs> You'll see a thousand occasional slip ups. I'm just saying that. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you know, it's definitely something I still keep my eye on. It's still something I work on. Like, I always tell people in my mind, like, I'm sober and vegan, but in reality, yeah. like, I love shots of Jack Daniels and fried chicken. So it's like, it's a constant struggle, but it is one <laughs> that I'm much more aware of now. And um, yeah, I just tried to, to behave. I think, you know, if, if you're able to learn moderation, then absolutely. I think, I mean, for me, one thing that I think made it easier to cut alcohol out of my life is knowing that if there is a point, you know, just telling myself if there's a point in my life where I truly believe that I could handle and like drink in moderation, then absolutely I might start drinking again. But for, I, I think, Pretty realistically, I think that's for me, like maybe in my 70s, okay. there's a part of me that's like, if I make it to that old, I'm just going to like cut the ripcord and let myself do everything. You know? how, long, <laughs> and maybe, how long have you been sober from alcohol? Um, I am very close to three years. Um, Congratulations. Uh, thank you. That's At the beginning so of amazing, next month James. will be three years. Thank you. And um, proud of you, you know. Thank you. I did have times in my life where I quit drinking before and then started practicing moderation and actually maintained that for a while. And then there was just a time where I was like, you know, even with moderation, I'm not sure that I want to continue this. And that took me a year of just kind of like thinking about it and exploring different relationships to alcohol and what if I only drink at this point you know and right. or what, what if, if I only you know, drink like, wine or beer yeah, yeah 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 I think lots of people have their have those conversations with themselves and you know the outcome doesn't always have to be the same it doesn't always have to be you know I'm gonna quit drinking I think people just need to you know uh, surrender to having that conversation with themselves <laughs> rather than um Avoiding it, you know, conversation with ourselves, it's imperative to a good life. <laughs> Amen. You, I couldn't have said it better. <laughs> is there anything, um, you're currently on Work the World, is there anything else you'd like to talk about? Is there any other projects you want 
listeners to know about? Any other places you want to direct their attention? <laughs> well, you know, I love plugging myself. Um, <laughs> you can check out my a really cool series with my best friend called Muse Me. It's on YouTube. We have two seasons out now, and we're currently in the process of working on the third. It's a show that follows my best friend, who is a photographer, makeup artist, stylist, director. I mean, he just does it all. And basically each episode, he gives me a different reference of what like the art is going to be inspired by. And then he does my makeup, my hair, my styling, everything. And then he photographs me. And then at the end, you see his final work. So I definitely am like a huge fan of my own show of that and want people to know (laughs) about that, which is available on my YouTube. Currently right now, I have a new vlog that drops every week on Thursday, of course, at 4.20 Pacific Standard Mm. Time. And it's just, you know, follows my life and the different things that I'm doing. It's called A Day in the Life of. Um, I also have a new movie coming out where I star opposite of Alaska Thunderfuck and it's called God Save the Queens. And it is a story that is told in different vignettes. It actually features Vicky Vox, Kelly Mantle, Michelle Visage, and a bunch of other amazing people. So that's going to Tribeca and Outfest this year. So we're super, super excited for that. Congratulations. Yes. And then, of course, I'm always working on new music. My EP, Daily Basis, will hopefully be dropping in the fall, along with a new music video. So, you know, I stay busy, girl. I'm, I'm up and on it and lots of things coming out very soon. So people can just find me on social media pretty much across the board at Laganja Astranja. And um, it's so easy to spell. Um. It is, yes. It is so easy to spell. But for those who need the help, it's L-A-G-A-N-J-A-E-S-T-R-A-N-J-A. And I thought of one last thing. June 15th, mm. I'm dropping. You can see it. No one else can see it. But um, I'm dropping my new trans pride line to celebrate my one-year anniversary of coming out. And that'll be on my website, which is just lagondrastrange.com. Well, Congratulations on everything, and congratulations on are are you ha- are you a workaholic? Are you happy when you're busy? I am. I yeah, am. yeah. I've <laughs> always got to be doing something, or otherwise I get bored, and then I'm sad. Um, I'm the same way, except now post pandemic, I'm like, and I also want to do it at home. Me too. <laughs> oh my god! See, we are the same. We are the same. Because Truly. I mean, I love touring. And uh, I always will, but my threshold and tolerance for touring has decreased. But I'll always do it because, you know, how else do you get to see your audiences around the world? You know, even with like live streaming and then there's time zones and and you just can't synthesize a live performance. But, um, you know, I think one of my goals for moving forward is to definitely be mindful with my touring. So one, I'm always giving my best out there. And then also I'm giving myself the recuperation time to be my best and to like enjoy everything I'm doing. Plus, you know, I've got a husband now. I can't be jet setting, you know, 90% of the year anymore. Who's, who's going to feed him? (laughs) Okay. Well, I do have to say, um, you know, I don't remember where it was. I don't remember the title (laughs) of the show, but I got to see you in a one woman show. There was a piano and I feel like a therapist vibe. Is this ringing? That was the ginger snapped. The ginger snap. And it is by far like my favorite RuPaul's Drag Race single (laughs) female show that I've ever seen. Like you were so 
brilliant and it made me respect you so much more because I just remember like I cried like you really touched me in a place that I didn't think that you know drag could do and so I just wanted you to know that and just know that I think you are just so brilliant and congratulations to you on the new all-stars I do have a podcast where we review (laughs) your looks and everyone else's looks yes that's right it's called queening out with Joseph Shepard I I believe you know he is yeah (laughs) yeah and um yeah, it's it's really fun because it gives me an opportunity now to like watch the show and take notes and like really take mm-hmm. it serious because I have a podcast where I have to talk about it every <laughs> week. Comes out every Tuesday on the dip. And uh yeah, you know, we've really been enjoying reviewing you. You you really are <laughs> such a fabulous queen. And this last look that you wore, girl, the queen look. Oh my god, wow. you just you, you knocked it out of the park, sis, truly. Thank you. I mean, I love period costumery, um, but it doesn't always have a place in drag. <laughs> I mean, well, no, that's that's a lie. It has many, many places in drag, but usually it then gets ripped off and you're wearing like a, a slutty cat suit. <laughs> but you were slutty. You had your leg out. Didn't I had Andrew, a leg. <laughs> didn't Andrew make that for you? Um, Aster Yang. Oh, Aster, Aster, right. I saw his TikTok of it. So cool. Yeah. So cool. And he's so sweet. And he would send me um, pictures and videos of him modeling the different pieces, which um, was always a bright spot in my day. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Aster Yang did the the gown and the crown. And um, when Raja and I put on our full looks and then looked at each other, we were like, oh, (laughs) Because we were already, you know, I'm, I'm, Raja was the oldest queen there, but next, you know, like, I I think I'm the exact same age as Jada, um, and, uh, even though I wasn't the second oldest, because my season was so long ago, I basically got, you know, that was my place in the lineup. So then the two of us being like the, the old... Relics from the past, then looking at each other, and we're Queen Elizabeth and King Louis, and we're like, ah. <laughs> well, as M- Mother Alyssa Edwards taught me, you're not old, you're established. <laughs> Laganja, I have some compulsory questions that I ask every guest. Are you ready? I was born ready. (laughs) Who is your celebrity crush today? Mm. (laughs) I don't really like male celebrities. Like, it's not really my thing. (laughs) So I don't, I, I would say Missy Elliott because she's just like my celebrity for everything. I love her. What's your favorite early Missy Elliott song? And I say early because I don't, I'm so bad at listening to new music these days that um, if it's not from like the early 2000s, I don't know it. (laughs) Um, My favorite in the beginning would probably be Super Duper Fly, Mm -hmm. Funky Fresh Dressed, or I Can't Stand the Rain. I Can't Stand the Rain is my favorite. One of my favorite music videos of all time. I love when Jiggly recreated that look. Yeah. and uh, I love the I love the samples in it. It's just one of my all time favorite songs. Um, she also has a song called "Big Spender," which uses um, a sample it. from the show um, "Sweet yes. Charity." The song "Big Spender." Oh my god! Okay, wonderful answer. Um, 
Next question is, are you spiritual? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's that's great. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, occasionally... I, I guess I should have said, yes, God. <laughs> you know, occasionally when um, I ask that question, uh, I'd say nine times out of ten, the person goes, um, you know, and then, you know, talks about how they whatever like beliefs they practice or what they don't practice and why they don't practice it. Every once in a while, someone just says no <laughs> or yes. And Good. I kind of love that answer because just because I asked you the question doesn't mean you have to, you know, like you get to keep that stuff personal if it's That's personal. Right. <laughs> Final question is your go-to karaoke song. Work It by Missy Elliott. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Um, oh, my gosh. I, I'm, try, I'm trying to think. Work It must be one of the more drag-performed Missy Elliott songs, right? I would think so, yeah. Yeah. I would definitely think so. I, I, I mean, so I started drag at such an early age. There's so much music I only know because every drag queen performs it. Like, um, so much Celine Dion I wouldn't have been aware of if it weren't for drag okay. queens. Uh, <laughs> can't say I've seen a lot of drag queens do Celine Dion these days, but when I believe... When you touch me like this, when you hold me like that, that's a standard. I had to do that song during Corona, so that's when I learned that song. <laughs> my my friend Sable Cities, um, do you know Sable? I well, think so, the, so, yeah. Yeah. She's a buck and twirler, originally uh -huh. from Texas. And um, we met when she was living in Portland. We started, um, I think she's a year older than me, but we started drag at the same exact time. Took very different routes with our drag, um, but we're the best of friends. And um, she used to do this number. I swear to God, she edited um, When You Touch Me Like This so that... <laughs> So that every time you thought it was going to end, there would be another, baby, 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 when you hold me like this. <laughs> so Love it was it. like seven or nine minutes long when it should have only been five minutes long. <laughs> and every she, time, she it's it? all coming back, it's all coming back. <laughs> she could hold the audience for a solid 15 just lip syncing. Um, you know, that's, that's a superpower in drag. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. Especially when most of your audience is like, you know, blackout drunk. <laughs> yes, my favorite. <laughs> well, Laganja, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Hi, Jinx. Um, how much longer are you, uh, how much long, how much longer are you working the world? I will be working the world until June 4th. That's when I go back to the UK. Huh. Oh my gosh. Musical chairs. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, um, are you in the UK for the rest of the time? UK uh, and UK adjacent? We end in Spain. We're going to Barcelona and Madrid. So I'm super excited about that because I've never been either place. <laughs> um. Spain, beautiful. Barcelona, I remember very little of it, but because it was a very in and out, in and out uh, procedure. But 
um, I remember thinking, ah, Barcelona. Sorry, Barcelona. Uh, (laughs) um, Well, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your time on tour. I hope listeners to Hijinks go and see you, as well as Evie Oddly and Jada Essence Hall. Um, And I'm sure there's more people. (laughs) Yes. Yes, there absolutely I don't know the entire cast, but I know know you, and I know Jada and Evie. Um, But the... It, it, it always, I miss, I do miss touring with a big group of queens. There's no, ex, there's no way to synthesize eight queens on a bus <laughs> there's, there's, or eight queens at 6 a.m. at the airport. Like, <laughs> yep. it's true. It's truly a unique experience and one that I'm very grateful to get the opportunity to go back on. And uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing you more on All Stars and queening out because you are fabulous. Oh, thank you. Be kind. <laughs> thank you. I will. <laughs> Have a wonderful rest of your day, Laganja. And thank you all so much for listening to Hi Jinx here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Jinx Monsoon, and we have new episodes every Wednesday, so make sure to search for Hi Jinx on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. You can follow me at The Jinx on Instagram or at Jinx Monsoon everywhere else. And I'll see you next Wednesday for some more. Hi Jinx! <laughs> I was trying Bye, to get Jinx. higher with each one. Bye, Lakasha. Forever. To listen to Hi Jinx, ad free and one day early, sign up for Mom Plus at mompodcasts.plus. Hi Jinx is produced by Forever Dog and Moguls of Media, aka Mom. Hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon, produced by Joseph Shepard, editing and sound designed by Will Pitts, and executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Brett Boehm, Big Dipper, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey.